Happiness versus Flourishing, episode 12. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on how to have a more meaningful life, how to have a a better quality of life, just small things you can do to to improve your life. My name is Tony Winyard and today's guest is a guy called Rian Doris and we're going to talk about flow and peak performance and areas around that. So we're going to be hearing a lot more from Rian Doris in just a few minutes. It would be great if you could uh, subscribe to the podcast. Why not go on to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you, you go to to listen to your podcast and uh, subscribe so you get to hear it more often. And the more people that, sub- that subscribe, the more people get to hear about the show. And why not leave a review for us? Let us know what you think about the show. Not asking for five-star reviews. I much prefer honesty because that's how we improve. So if there's something an area you feel the the show could be improved upon either drop me an email send a review whatever but it would be good to to let us know so right now it is time for this week's show with Rian Doris happiness versus flourishing my guest today is Rian Doris how are you doing how you doing Rian I'm good thanks Uh, yeah thank you for having me Tony appreciate it good to have you on and you're well we were sort of briefly chatting before we started recording i know you said you're from dublin but i can't did you say you're in portugal at the moment at the moment i'm in in lisbon in portugal i'm normally based out of venice beach in california uh but i'm decided to do a little three-week staycation in lisbon on my way back uh to california from dublin And and it's funny when you just said that about the um the california I could hear in your voice both the Irish and the Californian coming out. At the same <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, apparently my Irish accent's gotten a little bit, a little bit diluted, which I'm not what, delighted to hear about. What do your friends at home say about that? Yeah, they they they, they have great fun with it. They have great fun okay. with it, as as most Irish lads do on the on the slagging front and whatnot. <laughs> So what is it took you over to California? Yeah, so I moved out there. Well, I've kind of been back and forth since 2016, the last four years or so. Mm. I originally went out with friends for a summer to work and things like that and just fell in love with all elements of it, from the weather to the opportunity to the people to the culture and the thing that keeps me wanting to live there and keeps me coming back, or at least has done up till now, is the entrepreneurial, positive, uplifting culture and vibe. And mm-hmm. um, I really, really find that incredibly energizing and refreshing. And uh, in some respects, yeah, and liberating. There's, you know, Everyone, everyone wants everyone else to succeed, or at least that's the the feeling that you get from the overall culture that's emanating there. Mm. And so, has it changed much about what you do? Yeah, in some respects, I think that being there and having connection to the people there that I know and have built relationships with and having the inspiration that's come from being around those kinds of people and the the knowledge and everything 
has had an immense impact, I think, on mm. our ability to grow as a company, on my ability to grow the company, and on my just overall development in general. So for, for the listeners who aren't so familiar with you, do you want to tell us what it is you do? Sure, yeah. So I run a company called the Flow Research Collective with a fellow who some of your listeners may know called Stephen Kotler. And mm-hmm. Stephen's written 12 national best-selling books and he is considered one of the world's leading experts on flow state and the science of peak performance. He's been featured everywhere from Time Magazine to being on Joe Rogan to working with and training organizations like Google and the U.S. Naval War College and Accenture. And so Stephen and I set up the Flow Research Collective with the goal being that we do two main things. One is research, as is in the name, and then one is training. On the research Mm -hmm. side, the goal is to decode the neurophysiology of peak performance, which in simpler terms means to understand what is going on in the brain and in the body when humans are performing at peak capacity or performing at their best, which tends to coincide with being in what we call a flow state. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that through partnerships with Stanford and UCLA and a number of other organizations and institutions. We partner with researchers and academics within academic institutions and assist with their research in order to achieve that objective. And then on the training side, we work with entrepreneurs and executive teams and other business leaders and help them implement neuroscience-based peak performance practices, strategies, and tools to help them get more done in less time and just improve their ability to access flow with consistently so that they can improve the professional results they're trying to get across the board. And mm-hmm. we've built a team of PhD level coaches, psychologists, and neuroscientists who work one-on-one with our clients in order to support them in, in achieving peak performance sustainably. Mm. It, it sounds fascinating. I mean, how, how did you get hooked up with Stephen Cutler? When I was in college a number of years ago, I developed, well, I was, when I was young, even 15, 16, became very, very ambitious and driven and developed through reading some of the classic sort of self-help books that I'm sure you're aware of from Tony Robbins to Think and Grow Rich and that kind of thing. Just developed an extreme ambition and hunger to try and build something or become something or do something meaningful and worthwhile. And so I developed the habit while in college of just reaching out to constantly reaching out to people who I found inspiring and who I aspired to be like or have similar impact to. So I would just incessantly, whenever I'd see someone on a podcast or read a book, I would hunt down their their contact details online. And sometimes Mm. I'd go to very obscure extents in order to do so from adding the their their team members on their personal facebook pages and basically harassing anyone who was in any in any distance of them but in in almost all instances i would get extremely positive responses and also manage to connect with an amazing amount of extremely high level people a lot of people you know the names of just through cold outreach i would just say i'm a student you know how can i help I see you're doing this. How can I add value? I want to help. 
here's something mm-hmm. I could do that might help. This that kind of narrative of just trying to um, bring energy and enthusiasm to the table and add value. And mm-hmm. so, anyway, there was, I was doing that for for years and ended up getting some amazing internships and opportunities out of it as a result, mostly U.S. based. Mm-hmm. And so, one example I worked with Keith Ferrazzi, who is a very well known author and speaker and expert on peak performance within teams. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called Never Eat Alone about networking, which was a huge New York Times bestselling hit. And mm-hmm. so managed to work with him for a whole summer in LA and stayed in his place in the Hollywood Hills and got to meet amazing people as a result of that. And then Stephen, I, I, I interacted with and, and came into contact with in the first place through a sort of similar um, approach. I listened to him on a podcast Loved what he was talking about with respect to flow and peak performance. Found it immensely, immensely interesting and really appreciated how science-based and rigorous he was. And I could tell that as Mm. a distinguisher just from hearing him on the podcast. Then I added him on on his personal Facebook page. And um, preparation met opportunity and caused the luck of him just posting, asking for interns about five years ago at this point. So I reached out to him, started working with him as an intern, scaled up my portfolio of work more and more. And then uh, 18 months ago, a number of different things happened, which made it make sense for us to set up the Flow Research Collective together. So, wow. yeah. And so what did, what was it when you set that up? What were the first steps? What did you start doing after that was set up? So we've bootstrapped uh, to get to where we are now. We're currently working with about a 1,000 clients a month. The team's about, I lose track, actually, of the exact team numbers. I think we've got about 35 or so on the team now. And um, we kicked off, Stephen had an audience to begin with. So we kicked off with a big live event for that audience. And then we used the revenue that we generated at that live event and reinvested that straight back into the business into another live event that ended up being bigger and then took those funds and reinvested those straight back in. And we've repeated that cycle of, of earning and reinvesting for scale and earning and reinvesting for scale uh, over the last 18 months or so. It was March 2019 that it kicked off. So mm-hmm. whatever amount of months that is to now. And uh, yeah, so that's been the, the trend and we've grown exponentially since and are delighted with with the impact that we're having right now and obviously there's immense room for improvement and lots and lots of growth to come hopefully Mm. and how has the whole kind of sort of pandemic situation affected you we were immensely lucky in that we were already a distributed team first of all so all of our systems were in place for remote work already we were already optimized for that in addition to that we also had most of our offerings online digitally delivered you know our main offering is is peak performance coaching as i said for executive teams and even if we're working with a big executive team like we did a big engagement with accenture's leadership team in the netherlands and regardless of the pandemic we would do that remote for a number of different reasons already Mm -hmm. so we were we were positioned very nicely whereby our whole team was already remote all of our offerings were already remote and so due to that, it didn't have any ne- negative impact on us from a organizational standpoint. In terms of demand, we also 
were very lucky in that respect, whereby people just really felt the need for what we were are offering and were offering. And so we, we actually experienced tremendous growth in the first few months after the pandemic. And that, that growth has continued since then. So we've been immensely lucky in that respect. Well, and, and I wonder if people that have been th- through that kind of training and really understanding flow have therefore managed to cope with the whole situation much better. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I don't want us to take excessive credit for people's ability to cope with such a challenging situation, but I think understanding how to manage one's psychology, how to manage one's state, how to recover properly, how to ensure that adversity turns into post-traumatic growth and you have an anti-fragile response to an adverse event and understanding Mm -hmm. what habits and protocols and practices you need to have in place in order to be performing at an optimal level and how to keep those consistent even as stress levels increase and Mm -hmm. the conditions become more challenging when you have that understanding and those skills the likelihood of you responding positively or being able to cope at least positively when Mm -hmm. a black swan event like the pandemic happens Mm -hmm. increases for sure i think yeah, and I'm thinking to the people, the typically the people that you're training. How often is it that they've got very little knowledge or, or understanding of flow, or is it usually the case that they've got a reasonable understanding and they just want to get a much deeper understanding? In many respects understanding flow is only useful to the extent that it's going to allow you to get the results you want to get in your own life Mm -hmm. with respect to what it is you're actually trying to do. So we're not necessarily educating people about flow. And if we are doing that, we're doing that because they need to know a certain amount to be able to put into practice the things that are going to actually benefit them. Mm -hmm. So I think we, we get a balance, you know, we get a balance. We get some people who've read all Stephen's books, who've listened to our podcast, who are just huge fans of, of the idea of flow state and the neuroscience-based approach that we take to it. And then we get people who are real estate developers that are just absolutely swamped and struggling with stress, overwhelm, and uncertainty and want the support that coaching and a program like this can, can provide in order for them to perform better professionally. So some people come in as, as fans of the content and our approach specifically and then a lot of people come in with problems that they want us to help them solve and Mm. ultimately i'm always as a marketer and as a product developer biased towards making sure that we are oriented more to the problems that people have and the challenges that they want assistance with than to you know our our shiny objects and our phone ideas and do you, would you say that, well, my guess, and I could be completely wrong, is that when you're dealing with typical, say, Brits and Irish, we're going to be much more cynical than many Americans that you may be dealing with? Very much so. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. I've, I've, I, and being Irish, um, I've got direct first-hand experience of that for years. But at the same time, the effectiveness of it. Of, of, of training peak performance purposefully 
mitigates mitigates skepticism, mitigates cynicism very significantly. And mindfulness mm. is a very good example of that. There is mm. huge skepticism with respect to mindfulness and the idea of meditating and people viewed it as ridiculous and some mm. sort of pseudo-spiritual, semi-religious thing that was obscure and bizarre to try and bring into the workplace. Mm. And then people did it and found it immensely helpful. And there's mm. also, of course, immense amounts of research supporting the efficacy of mindfulness for all sorts of different outcomes. And it's the same mm. as that, you know, if it, if it works, skepticism and cynicism dissipates very, very quickly. And so how typically would you, the person who is initially skeptical about it, how do you get them to do something like meditation in the first place? Well, we're not, I mean, we're not necessarily um, teaching them meditation. Uh, Mm. So, you know, ultimately the outcome that we're trying to achieve is to help them get more consistent, reliable access to flow state. And so just to, mm. to define what that is for a second. So flow is technically defined as an optimal state of consciousness where we mm. feel our best and we perform our best. And it refers to those moments of total absorption and rapt attention where you're fully honed in and focused on the task at hand, where time dilates and hours go by and what feels like minutes. And your sense of self, that inner dialogue, that voice in the back of your mind tends to quieten and go offline during a flow state and throughout performance, both mental and physical go through the roof. And Mm. so everyone has experienced that state. You know, it's usually Mm. referred to as being in the zone or getting in the groove or dropping in or getting in state or being on it. There's all sorts Mm. of synonyms for flow and everyone's experienced it. And it's ultimately, it's the state that everyone's trying to get to when working. It's the reason that we set up our desks in a certain way or try and remove distractions or try and get up earlier to do deep work. It's because we're trying to cultivate conditions for flow because when we're in flow, performance increases above and beyond any other state. And so Mm. what we're trying to do is take this ephemeral, sporadic occurrence, which is time spent in a flow state and turn it into something that you actually have some control over so that you can reliably and repeatedly drive yourself into flow rather than maybe dropping into that zone, you know, once on a Tuesday afternoon, every couple of weeks at random. And then after having been in that state and found it wildly productive, being uncertain as to how to actually get back into that zone. So by, understanding the research for flow we have a deeper understanding of what the preconditions for flow are and how you can actually get into that state in the first place and then when you understand those preconditions you can start to increase the consistency and reliability with respect to which you can access flow what what do you think are the biggest challenges for many people to try and get into that sort of state in the first place Sure, yeah. So we we talk about these as the flow blockers. And Mm -hmm. these are a little less dense with respect to the research than a lot of the other work. These have emerged anecdotally through the clients that we've worked with. And there's, there's 10 big ones. I'll run through each briefly. First one is mindset. So Dr. Carol Dweck, is a, an amazing researcher on mindset. She's a psychologist at Stanford. She did a lot of the original pioneering work on 
fixed and growth mindsets mm-hmm. with with a fixed mindset. If you've got a fixed mindset, you essentially believe that your capabilities, your talent, your intelligence, your skill levels are innate and inherent and thus fixed and mm-hmm. not possible to shift or improve or actually have control over. Whereas with a growth mindset, you believe that those things are the byproduct of effort being exerted or action being taken. And you believe that it is possible to expand intelligence, increase skill, and actually positively change in a direction that you'd like to change. And mm-hmm. so having a growth mindset is the first crucial step. And if you don't have a, if you don't have a growth mindset, we may as well be talking to the wall in that you're just not going to believe that yeah. the sort of change that is potentially desirable to you is even a possibility due mm. to the, the way in which you view yourself and the world. So yeah. that's the first one. Yeah. Distraction is another huge one. And mm. this is obviously immensely pervasive in, in today's world, but distraction is, is, is just an immense blocker from flow. So flow states happen as part of a four stage cycle. And this is research that a cardiologist does. Harvard by the name of Herb Benson has done and Mm. it's referred to as the flow cycle. So when you get into that zone, that state of flow, that's actually just one stage in a four stage cycle. It begins with struggle where you are initiating an activity or a task and cortisol levels spike a little bit, norepinephrine and spikes a little bit on the front end and you feel this sense of struggle, this conscious sense of struggle. Then there's a release phase where you're transitioning and then there's the flow state itself. And then on the back end, there's a recovery phase. And Mm -hmm. so understanding that flow cycle that goes from struggle to release to flow to recovery and then knowing how to move yourself through that cycle with as much speed and consistency as possible is crucial and distraction keeps people locked at the front end of that cycle in a struggle phase because they begin a task. Let's say you pull up a essay that you've got to write. If you're a college student or a presentation you're building or whatever it may be, you begin that task and you can feel oftentimes that sense of struggle building. There's a sense of resistance as Stephen Pressfield calls it in the war of art. Mm. And often that sense of struggle, that sense of resistance becomes so high or burdensome that we distract ourselves. We just quickly check a YouTube video. We go get something to eat. We try and do something that's more pleasant and pleasurable Mm -hmm. than engaging in the task with which we're struggling. And then Mm -hmm. that ends up resetting us back to the beginning of the flow cycle, the start of the struggle phase. We re-engage in a task and we struggle, struggle, struggle. And once we've tolerated the pain enough, we distract ourselves again and we reset it continually, not knowing that if we were to persist without breaking focus and without getting distracted, we would break through to release phase and then through to the flow cycle, through to the flow state itself. So distraction is, is just a train wreck for that reason and many others. Burnout is another huge blocker from flow and peak performance, especially for high performers. And 
Christina Maslach, who's the original researcher in burnout. We use the term burnout a lot now. It's really much so, very much so part of common parlance, but it actually only emerged around the 1970s as a term. And Mm -hmm. Christina Maslach's research shows that there's actually six triggers for burnout. And only one of those, interestingly, is work overload or the amount that you're actually working. People presume that burnout is just the result of working too much, but there Mm -hmm. are actually more nuanced triggers of burnout. Fairness Mm -hmm. is one example. So a lack of fairness can burn Mm -hmm. you out just as much as working too much can burn you out. And so Mm -hmm. knowing how to diagnose what the cause of burnout is and then take actions to resolve that makes a huge difference with respect to flow and being burnt out and just fried is also a blocker for flow. The two distinct things that occur with burnout are exhaustion, low mood, and then cynicism, interestingly. Cynicism mm-hmm. is, is, is very much a symptom of burnout. And so often we're just not juiced up and jazzed up enough about the thing that we're doing when we're burnt out to give it enough time and energy and attention in order to get in the flow in the first place. Mm. Exhaustion, this is a really obvious, simple one, but exhaustion um, is is an immense blocker for flow. If you are just you know falling asleep at the computer, you're not going to be able to get into a state of peak performance or flow by you know sheer due to sheer biology. And the degree to which people are underslept is mm. shocking. The degree to which yeah. people are chronically underslept. A lot of our clients actually don't even know what their personality is like well rested they they almost mm. they don't even know who they are actually well slept and well rested because they've been chronically exhausted sometimes for five ten years straight and mm. uh, have lost sight of, of what life actually feels like well rested and mm. so often we fix their sleep and they realize that oh, this long list of emotional and relational and professional problems they had have just evaporated simply due to them actually once and for all finally being being properly slept and actually having their cognitive faculties back online again it's amazing really isn't it yeah it's 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 wild it's i mean it's, Mm. it's simple but it's one of those simple but very 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 easy to overlook things sleep i mean we talk about health often as a pyramid with mm. sleep at the bottom and then mm. and then exercise and then nutrition. A lot mm. of people hugely underestimate the importance of sleep. You know, there's often more there's more talk about supplements and more talk about the exact kind of workout routines needed or the right kind of diet than there is about sleep. But if you've mm. got sleep out of whack, firstly your ability to stick to a diet in the first place. It's going to be totally shot because of Mm. reduced willpower and things like that when fatigued. But also, in terms of overall health and energy and vitality, I I would, at least personally, take eight hours sleep a night with a crap diet over Mm. four hours sleep a night with a perfect diet any day. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Sure. So, uh, overwhelm. Overwhelm is another huge blocker for flow. Overwhelm essentially occurs when the demands that are placed upon us, whether they are emotional or literal, exceed the resources that we have to cope with those demands, whether those resources are time-based or financially-based or energy-based. And so 
reducing the amount of balls and someone is juggling tends to obviously make a huge difference to overwhelm and allows someone to to calm down enough to be able to focus for a a long period of time on one thing which is what's required in order to be able to get in flow in the first place clarity is another big flow blocker or lack of clarity and this occurs for folks both in the shorter term and the longer term so long-term lack of clarity is uncertainty with respect to what direction one wants one's life to go what one's long-term goals are what their impact the impact they're trying to have is and then shorter term clarity is you know what do i actually do today or this week Mm -hmm. and getting both the long-term and short-term lack of clarity turned into clarity makes an immense immense difference and then Mm -hmm. motivation is another fairly obvious but uh but huge one and there's a distinction that you may be aware of between extrinsic and intrinsic motivation intrinsic motivation is where the the task is worthwhile in and of itself regardless of what comes as a result of engaging in it or doing it. And extrinsic motivation is where we are engaged in a task because it's going to produce some outcome that we desire, whether that's status or fame, excuse me, or fame or wealth or whatever it may be. And so developing intrinsic motivation is crucial because it is longer lasting. Intrinsic motivation sustains us over the long haul extrinsic motivation tends to be much more brittle and tends to have a stop start nature whereby we we feel like we've gotten the thing that we were trying to get and so the motivation evaporates or or vice versa and so understanding how to how to level up intrinsic motivation is key there's five intrinsic motivators that we generally have people examine and they are mastery autonomy passion purpose and curiosity Mm -hmm. and so ideally you want your professional life or whatever it is that you're engaged in to have those five elements passion purpose autonomy curiosity and mastery mastery means the ability to endlessly improve with respect Mm -hmm. to what it is that you're doing and often you see people just feeling like they've hit a ceiling or that they're you know, bored out of their mind with respect to something because they've basically gotten as good as it's possible to get at that thing. In mm. order to have long-term intrinsic motivation, you need the ability for endless, endless improvement or mastery. Curiosity means that you want to have curiosity with respect to what it is that you do day to day and what it is that you're doing overall. Passion means that you individually want to feel incredibly excited and juiced about what, what it is that you're engaging in and then purpose means that you want to resonate with the actual impact of whatever it is that you're doing passion is about you purpose is about impact or the other or whatever that thing is that's bigger than you and so getting those intrinsic motivators all lined up and ensuring that whatever it is that you're doing professionally maps to all of those intrinsic motivators makes a huge difference for long haul intrinsic motivation Time is another huge blocker for flow or or poor time management Mm -hmm. and improving mindset with respect to time and ability to manage and guard and work with time is a huge thing. A lot of people use time as a metric for Mm -hmm. progression or success or 
hard work or whatever it may be. They look at, you know, how long their work week was in hours rather than looking at the output of that work week. And one of the big things we emphasize is that hours are utterly arbitrary with respect to output. The thing that matters is the output that you're actually, mm. you know, what you're actually producing, what you're doing, not how much you're putting in. And ultimately, yeah. you're, you're aiming to get maximal output, maximal returns for minimal input, for minimal mm. time spent. And a lot of people obsess over, you know, op- optimizing their day or their life or their work in order to work as many hours as possible for as long mm. as possible. And ideally, you should optimize for the exact opposite. You, you should optimize for achieving what it is that you want to achieve in as few hours as you possibly can and constantly yeah. trying to improve that ratio of input to output. Mm. It's, well, I mean, when you're um, working with people on these things, do you is there is it always a set order that you do these in, or does it very much depend on the on the person because everyone's different? Oh, very much depends on the person for sure. These are yeah. these are trends; these are common trends, and I mean, every, everyone has room for improvement with respect to mm-hmm. all of these things. But mm-hmm. it totally depends on the individual, which thing is focused on first and which things focused on the most yeah because i can i can see with, with some people just by sorting out the sleep then many of the other things become so much easier exactly exactly yeah and, and trying to find that force multiplier is yeah. key as well you know once you can find that thing and, and you know for other people who may be overwhelmed they're literally they're just they're, they're trying to run three businesses and as soon as mm-hmm. they start only running two businesses everything else clicks back into place. They can sleep, their mindset's healthier. They're, mm. you know, not distracted by the, the massive amount of things they're doing. They're no longer burnt out. They're clear, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so trying to find that highest leverage thing to solve is always very much so a good approach as well, for sure. Do you, I imagine, well, do you find it really satisfying being able to help people sort of get through this? And because they, the transformation must be, Quite, quite a lot. Yeah, I find it immensely satisfying. Yeah, and I'm very, um, I'm very driven by tangible results, like real world tangible results. Insights are great, and inner transformation obviously is great and immensely meaningful. But I like to see extremely tangible transformation. So, for example, you know, I'm a I'm a single mother or whatever it is, and now I can finish my work week on Thursday rather than Friday and actually get double the amount done. Mm. Or, you know, I can now, I now have a four-hour workday rather than an 11-hour workday. They're the kinds of things that I love to see. Or I work Mm. the same amount of hours, but, you know, I'm now earning three times as much because my performance has improved so much or whatever it may be. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I love to see those really tangible, tangible um, end results from implementing this stuff. Um, so, typically, you mentioned about that you're now really set up to deliver a lot of this, a lot of this uh, digitally. And is that mostly in a sort of like workshop type, like Zoom type environment, or is it much one-to-one? Or Yeah, so there's three features. There's three main ways in which we deliver this. And the first thing is a daily content and exercise curriculum, which is digitally delivered over eight weeks. And so there you learn about all of these things. There's exercises and protocols, and we have you gradually build habits over the eight-week period. 
in order to optimize yourself and your behavior with respect mm-hmm. to this stuff. And then the second big piece is one-on-one coaching. And so mm-hmm. we pair you with one of our PhD level psychologists or neuroscientists and you work with them every other week to really integrate things in a way that you know maps to your own individual goals and life. And mm-hmm. then the third piece is group coaching, which, which happens every week. Um, mm-hmm. And we offer lifetime access to that as well so people can really um, stay plugged into a community for the long term in order to keep the habits in place. And mm-hmm. that uh, group coaching and community is, is a key piece as well. The group coaching is facilitated by our PhD level coaches. And um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely an important, important component as well. So there are three, there are three pieces. It's content and curriculum and exercises, and then your one-on-one coaching, and then your group coaching. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds fabulous. I can imagine the, um, the, the transformation that many people will have got from this. How do you see what you're delivering now? Have you got many plans to to sort of ramp it up to do much more? I mean, how do you see things going? Yeah, we do, we do absolutely have those plans. So Stephen uh, Stephen has a new book coming out in mm-hmm. January, which we're excited about. It's called The Art of Impossible, and it talks mm-hmm. about the full peak performance stack of motivation, learning, creativity, and flow, and how to how to dial all of those up. And yeah, I mean, our long-term goal is to build the world's most effective neuroscience-based peak performance training to help more people spend more time in flow. And uh, there's, yeah, we're only at the beginning of the beginning. Hmm. And what do you, I mean, have have you got plans yourself to sort of do anything like book writing or or anything like that? Um, At the moment, I'm very much so focused on building. I um, Mm am... have res yeah I, I, I feel um less excited about writing a book until um we've really built something big and meaningful and then mm. yeah i think a lot of people get it the wrong way around they write a book in order to try and grow a business versus just you know doing the actual thing first um mm. and so uh, i will i'm sure i will eventually but at the moment the focus is is building and what do you of all of the the things that you do what would you say you enjoy doing the most yeah it's a good question um i mean it's funny i'm sure any of your listeners who are business owners know that as you build a company the bottleneck constantly changes you know the start off in the bottleneck is product market fit trying to understand what the offer is that's going to sell then often it's distribution and marketing and sales and actually selling it. Then often it, it shifts to things like systems and operations so that you can actually fulfill on what you're selling. And then it shifts up to hiring and team and culture and management. And so we've been moving through all those different phases pretty quickly in the last 18 months. And at the moment, the thing that I am focused on is really building a leadership team that will de-risk the uh, – reduce any key man risk on me within the company and then also help us grow faster and more healthily. Mm-hmm. And excitement-wise, I think anything that contributes to, to scale and growth excites me. So whether that's um, strategy, I find immensely – enjoyable uh 
high level project management or management leadership building systems uh, I, I love marketing I love um, you know running customer discovery process to find out what what people what people are resonating with what people need and then and then building products that that map to that mm. so yeah I, I love a lot of the elements of it you, you did um I know your your title was that this year or was that uh, last year it was actually this year, yeah. It was like a it month before the pandemic. And how did it get the kind of response that you thought it might? I mean, what were your thoughts going into it and how were they afterwards? Um, I was actually pretty busy around the time that I that I gave it. I had a lot mm-hmm. of projects. We were rebuilding one of our trainings, so I didn't really give it a huge amount of thought. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was really happy with the response. People seemed to find it very helpful and, and liked it a lot. And um, it was fun. It was fun to do it. I, I didn't uh, didn't overly prepare. I think a lot of people really, you know, learn every word. But um, I, I sort of had, had talking points in mind and then just tried to have fun with it, freestyled it a little bit on stage. And, uh, and yeah, no, I, was, I was happy with it. And so do you see yourself doing a lot more sort of speaking as uh, in the next few years? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I, I think ultimately long-term I want to be in the entrepreneurship seat um, mm-hmm. more so than the thought leadership speaker-writer seat. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a, a certain amount of that I will, I will do in parallel. What are the biggest problems you find entrepreneurs face? I think a huge but simple one is focus. Mm-hmm. So, and people are aware of that. People know that they need to focus more and they need to hone in focus, but they don't really know the extent to which they know they, they need to hone in focus. Because mm-hmm. usually at any given time, as I said, usually there's a singular bottleneck mm-hmm. in a business, especially if it's at the six or seven figure level. Obviously, when it goes beyond that, it becomes a little more complex, but at that level, there's usually one bottleneck. It's usually you need more leads, you need higher conversion rate with your sales team, you need better better fulfillment so that your NPS score goes up, you need better management, you, need, you know, you need to make a key hire, whatever it may be. There's usually like literally one thing, maybe two. Mm-hmm. And having the ability to pierce through all the noise and find the signal amidst the noise and know mm-hmm. what that singular thing is and just focus ruthlessly and relentlessly on that singular thing until it's until it's no longer the bottleneck. And then knowing when it's no longer the bottleneck, how to spot the new bottleneck, and then how to focus ruthlessly on the new bottleneck, I think mm-hmm. is a very important thing because they, they bob and move and weave on a, on a weekly, a monthly, a quarterly basis. And so you need to constantly refocus as mm-hmm. well as have focus uh, mm. I think that's the biggest thing P- people don't enough at least I, I think people don't figure out the absolute core essence of what action or thing it, they need to do is with with respect to whatever the main bottleneck is and then they don't take enough action around it like if, if, if you literally just if you've got everything teed up and in place and you just don't have any leads in the pipeline all of your actions should be directly related to getting calls booked 
or whatever mm-hmm. it is with respect to your business. Or if, if, yeah. if the sales team's close rates collapsed, all of the actions should be focused on training and improving the sales process, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I would say focus and the ability to, to refocus and then the ability to follow up on that focus with, with extreme action taking that's directly related to whatever the bottleneck or challenge is. Well, for the people now who are listening to this and really liking the sound of it and they want to find out more about some of the stuff that you do, where's the best place for them to look? Sure. So you can go, well, firstly, you can go to flowresearchcollective.com just to learn more about us in general. Uh, then getmoreflow.com mm-hmm. will bring you to the page of our, our main training, which is called Zero to Dangerous. It's called getmoreflow.com, so G-E-T and then the word more, and then flow, F-L-O-W.com. And that um, getmoreflow.com will bring you to a page that has an application. If you'd like to train with us, you can apply there, and, and we'll jump on the phone with you for, for 30 minutes or so, and we'll see if it's a good fit. That Those those calls are, are strategy sessions as well, so they're useful generally anyway. We kind of try and help you diagnose whatever your flow blocker may be on those calls. And then we give you more information on training with us if that's of interest. So getmoreflow.com would be one place to go if someone is interested in training with us. And then we have loads of free material as well, which you can find just by, by Googling us as well, of course. And is there, um, apart from obviously Stephen, Stephen Gottler's, um, you know, fantastic books, is there a book that you would recommend to people? Yeah, I would recommend, um, a book called Scrum by mm-hmm. Jeff Sutherland. For anyone who hasn't read it, especially if, if, if you're an entrepreneur listening or a business owner, uh, funnily enough, it, it indirectly overlaps with a lot of what we teach and what we try and implement within organizations. And it's a very simple book. It's about the Scrum project management methodology, and it is phenomenal absolutely mm. phenomenal it's called scrum by jeff sutherland it's a really short easy read but very very high yield is that a written book it was published in it was 2014 is there um is there a quotation that you particularly like so mihai csikszentmihalyi mm-hmm. was is was a hungarian psychologist mm. who actually coined the term flow originally in the 1960s and he did a lot of the um, he did a lot of the original research on flow and on mm. this topic and he has a great quote about control of consciousness determines quality of life mm. and I think that's a great great quote and very deep point because ultimately your experience is your quality of life and your experience is your consciousness and you have the ability to control your experience so remembering that is very helpful and important i think and most people don't realize that they do have more control over that over than that than they really exactly yeah absolutely exactly well and and i thought you were doing really well just to pronounce his name because i can never pronounce that guy's name (laughs) so me me hi chick sent me hi that's how i remember yeah chick sent me hi i was told that yeah that was the way to remember but i always forget that as well yeah yeah it's crazy yeah sure well Rian, it's been uh, it's been fascinating talking to you for like for the last what, 50 minutes or whatever so um thank you for, for taking the time to come on and, and sharing 
what you do, and I hope it sounds like anyone who gives you a call is going to well, be ready for a lot of transformation. Hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate you, uh, you having me on. Tony, thanks a million. Uh, it's been great. Thank you. Next week is episode 13 with Jonas Altman. He's a speaker, a writer, and an entrepreneur on a mission to make the world of work more human. He is the founder of an award-winning design practice called Social Fabric and creates learning experiences to elevate and grow leaders at the world's boldest organizations. We have a really good conversation around the world of work and the amount of time that most people work. Many people work way too many hours and feel that that's being productive and often it's the reverse. By working too many hours, you often end up being far less productive and you can be far more efficient by working fewer hours. And so they're some of the things that we discuss in next week's episode with Jonas Altman. If you know anyone who might enjoy this week's show and get some real benefit from it, why not share the episode with them? Uh, with them, uh, because Rianne gave us some really good information, some good suggestions, um, some really good ideas on ways that you could improve your flow, your peak performance, and so on. It'd be great if you could leave a review for us on one of the podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. And please do leave a review as well. Let us know what you think about the show, which lets other people know about the show when they're looking around at possibly um, looking for new podcasts that they might find entertaining or informative in some way. Hope you have a great week and see you next week.